Navigating the Storm, Episode 3 Stopcocks and Safer Plumbing. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach and seasoned survivor of life storms. You can find me at AnnaKnightCoach.com or in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. On this podcast, I speak to women and non-binary people about their real lives, their journey to where they are now, and the big issues that they want to see change. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although Michelle Obama, if you're interested, feel free to get in touch. They're people who've inspired me, excited me, or challenged me to think bigger and braver than before. Today, we're talking both personal and plumbing with Hattie Hassan, MBE. Hattie grew up experiencing domestic abuse, and we'll be talking about the impact that had on her, her passion for supporting tradeswomen, and her current crowdfunding campaign to start the Stopcocks National Register of Tradeswomen. The register will connect people from vulnerable groups with trustworthy, verified tradeswomen. As Hattie and I will talk about, Our experiences are part of what forms us, and when we reach that place of safety, can give us the fire to go out and change our corner of the world. Our stories are important, but they can be hard to hear, especially if you're living something similar. Be mindful of that as you listen, and if you need to talk to someone about your safety, the National Women's Aid Helpline is available at 0808-2000-247. And Gallup run an LGBT specific helpline at 0800 999 5428. With that in mind, here's Hattie to tell you a bit more about herself. Hello, thank you for having me. If we could start, could you tell me a brief summary of who you are? Okay, so I'm Hattie Hassan. I'm the founder of Stopcocks Women Plumbers. I've been, I left teaching in 1990 and retrained as a plumber. And uh, about 10 years ago, I realised that I had more to offer than just plumbing. So I wrote a book called The Joy of Plumbing. And I started helping other women to become self-employed as plumbers. So that basically entailed helping them navigate through the maze of training, um, providing mentoring, and then eventually as the license and franchise, offering them business services, promotion, and all of that, and um, working under the Stopcocks brand. So that's basically what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So this year, literally in the last uh, couple of months, we decided because we were constantly being asked, do you know an electrician? Do you know a plasterer? Do you know this? Do you know that? And we actually do know some of those people. And we thought it's been something that we've been wanting to do, but we just thought now that we're sitting at home furloughed, why don't we bring that forward? Mm. 
and especially um, hearing the disturbing news, you know, regarding the incidences of domestic violence increasing or coming more to the public awareness. And that's also something that's very close to my heart, um, coming from that background myself and having personal experience. It was my own father that was the aggressor. And so if ever we had a, a man in the house, it would be, even if we made him a cup of tea, uh, we knew that something would happen to us after the guy had left. Even if it was completely innocent, you sort of offer a tradesman a cup of tea and before you know it, you're flirting with him or you're finding him handsome or you're doing this, you're doing that. And before you know it, you've been, you know, knocked about. Uh, and this happened quite a lot in my upbringing as I, I witnessed it in my own house so hearing the news just recently and I've, I've not really talked about it before but I think it's time to come out and say this is actually a personal experience and something I've always wanted to help and do something about I think having an increased number of tradeswomen so that at least we don't aggravate that sort of thing mm -hmm. also in my 10 years of experience of other trades and other plumbers i've discovered that there's a huge link between having a hard life and training in trades we haven't been able to explore that link fully and we're going to that's part of the reason of setting up the register is so that we can gather women from all different trades and we can actually create data and numbers real numbers so that we can find out about these women and hear their stories and know exactly how many of them there are so that we can basically move things forward in that respect. But knowing that we can be going into homes where domestic abuse and whatever can be going on, we, we can actually be role models and hopefully inspire those women who are having those hard lives to see that there is a way out. What I observed in my experience was that and I don't know what it's like in every abusive household or every household. Certainly in our abusive household, the women had no credibility whatsoever. So I had to secretly do well at exams and secretly do what I needed to do and build up my brain and my intelligence. I was never really credited with any and neither was my mum. So that, that kind of worked against us and worked for us in a way because it meant that we could secretly gather up our strengths without ever being credited with having any yeah <laughs> do you see what I mean I so do. it's that contradiction isn't it between the effect it can have on you not being recognized for your strengths but at the same time it gives you that little bit of being underestimated lets you gather some resources exactly exactly and that for me that dual part of your mission was definitely kind of one of the things that pulled me in when I was watching the video that you produced mm. your mum's story is so powerful mm. but for me it's not just the going in while you're still living with the perpetrator there's also that thing once you have got free of allowing a strange yeah. man into your space that has now become your your own tight little bubble of protection like yeah. I found that really difficult I remember in my first flat having a plumber in to check the boiler and mm. actually invited my parents up to join for that time because I just mm. needed another adult in the house mm. and, mm -hmm. and the plumber was lovely like he was a really mm. nice guy mm -hmm. but because I was fresh out of that space and needing to have my new flat the boiler checked the radiators needed bleeding loads mm. of stuff that I didn't know how to do at the time mm -hmm. if there'd been a place where I could be like here is a register of of women tradespeople, like mm. that would have made life so much easier <laughs> yeah 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 I mean I got we got attacked last week by by a keyboard warrior saying that we are dissing tradesmen and actually that's not what we're doing 
what we're doing is offering people a choice. So I think it's very important that we distinguish what we're actually saying by having a register of tradeswomen. What we're doing is we're offering people a choice to choose a tradeswoman. We're not saying, oh, don't choose a tradesman. And I think it's really important that whoever's listening to this realises that because actually the keyboard warrior was a woman, not a man. Mm -hmm. I was very conscious about talking about the reasons why that choice is essential, mm -hmm. not the fact that you have to choose that. Being in this game for so long and being the only tradeswoman for miles around, if I was against men, I would not choose to be in an industry that's full of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's something, that's a bit of a misconception. And I know our name is Stopcocks, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I love the name. It gave me a little giggle. As it, <laughs> it drew me right in. I do love yeah. a good pun. Yeah, same here, same here. And that's what it was. And, you know, I, I grew up in the um, in the 70s, you know, we were watching puns all the time, weren't we, on, on TV with um, the carry-on movies and what have you. And, uh, you know, that, that's where it came from. And like you say, it's an important distinction, isn't it, that you're not saying, oh, I have a problem with male tradespeople. No, but that's I, right. I think, like you say, it is such a huge facet of what it is like either growing up or living in an abusive household is mm. that kind of is one of the things I've always found hardest to explain I guess is those it's not the moment where you know that something has gone terribly wrong and you you know how you messed up for want mm. of a better word it's those tiny innocuous moments that sweep you off your feet and you go mm. oh god like I just made a builder a cup of tea or mm. I just talked to a sales attendant in a bookshop or yeah. all those moments that if you've not been in that situation you kind of can't mm. appreciate how those little things can actually contribute to a sudden lack of safety yeah, I mean, I remember, um, and it took me a long, 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 long time to change my mindset around this. I remember when I was studying for my exam, so I was at school, and I was on my way to the library. It's fair to say I did try to get out of the house as often as I could, um, and one of the legitimate ways was to be studying. Uh, so I was going to the library back in the days when you had to read books. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I bumped into my dad and he said to me, um, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the library. He said, OK, don't be late. I was like, OK. So I went to the library. I, did, I le legitimately went to the library and did my studying and got home at four o'clock in the afternoon. And he was extremely angry with me and was really quite violent towards me and just said, I told you not to be late. And for years and years and years, so at least 10 years, I carried the guilt of the fact that I actually deserved that beating because I was late. And one day I just said to myself, hold on a minute, four o'clock isn't late. You know, it's not like it was winter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it probably didn't get dark until 10 o'clock. And four o'clock isn't late. And I think it was that kind of realising something as small as that that made me begin to heal from that. That, you know, and change it round and say, actually, you were not a bad person. You were not late. You didn't deserve what you got. Yeah. And I think it's it's small things like that that kind of help you if you can remember those things, mm -hmm. which you can't. You know, you have to bring them back to mind, don't you, yeah. to to get your strength when you're feeling in that state. But I do remember that still to this day, and that's like what forty years later. Mm -hmm. I remember it, and I remember it as being a turning point. 
when you start having that realisation that the abuser is the one, you're not to blame, you're a child. And then you can start building from that. Yeah, and I think in the same way, like a lot of the the survivors that I coach will have those moments where they go, oh my God, like this wasn't, I didn't bring this on myself with Mm. how I dressed or how I spoke or Mm. putting that ownership of the behaviour back on the person who ultimately is the only person responsible for it. Like, I'm responsible for me, you're responsible for you. Mm. It's such a powerful moment. But like Mm. you say, it sometimes needs us to open up the mental filing cabinet and bring out something to have a look at and go, oh yeah, that was not my fault. Yeah, yeah, it's so important to have those. In in some ways, the smaller they are, the more significant they are Mm -hmm. because the smallest things do the most damage. Yeah. So if you can turn that small, tiny little thing around, then you're on a, a healing path. Mm-hmm. Thinking then about kind of your journey from there to here, obviously you went into teaching first. Mm. What mm. was it about teaching that, was it something about teaching that made you feel it didn't fit and you wanted to change to plumbing or how did that part of your story come about? Well, I always I always thought I would go into teaching as a fallback. Mm-hmm. Although, ironically enough, when nobody would give me a job as a plumber, I didn't want to fall back onto teaching. <laughs> and also, I loved school. I really loved school. I loved learning. And again, it was my way of coping with what was going on for me. But I just filled my brain. I'd rather fill my brain with new knowledge than despair and depression about what my life was like. I didn't actually know my life was any different to anybody else's until I started mixing with other people, you know, and I didn't know that people were allowed to mix with people. I didn't realise that people could have friends around their house. I didn't realise those things because we just never were allowed to do that. So it wasn't like I was saying, well... They're going, they're doing this, and why can't I? I just never saw it. The only differences I saw really were the differences between my life and my brother's lives. My brothers were allowed to go out and were encouraged to go out, and me and my sisters, well, me in particular, being the first-born girl, okay. things were very different to me for me than they were for my brother. So I could see that. I could see that the things that they aspired for for my, my father aspired for for my brother, he didn't aspire for for me. I always strove to make him proud of me. And up to the day he died, he never told me he was proud of me ever. And, you know, I I was able to actually talk to him about it. But him being him, I think uh, he just couldn't accept. He couldn't, he could never deal with his emotions. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was why I think he was like he was. But, you know, I've forgiven him. But that doesn't mean that you forget. Yeah being angry and hurt and all of that was hurting me more than it was hurting him because we never had any contact so he never knew (laughs) yeah and it's that thing isn't it of sometimes the anger is really helpful because in that state when you're getting away and it helps you build up the boundaries of going like you stay over there yeah but if you hold on to that anger and just let it kind of build up inside then it can start to do some really unpleasant things to mental health and physical health. And yeah, yeah, I totally relate to that of the anger at a certain point just becomes internal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, whoever told, whoever said that forgiveness is good for the, (laughs) the person who 
who was good for the perpetrator was wrong, wouldn't they? Because actually it's much better for you than it is for the perpetrator, mm -hmm. actually, because, you know, you have to come with to a, a piece about what happened to you. Otherwise, you, you're just stuck there and you never move forward. Yeah. And again, if those things hadn't happened to me, then who would I be now? I'd be someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was actually talking about the... My guest in episode one was my partner, Mel, and mm. she was saying it's that reconciliation of when we started dating and I was telling her all about my past experiences and she was having those moments of going, like, obviously it's it's hard to hear that that's happened to the person that you love, mm. but at the same time, those are the building blocks that got me on my journey to being the person who she met two and a half mm. years ago. You kind of can't separate out those events from where you've got to now no that's right you can't you really really can't i mean if i well if those things hadn't happened to me then i may have been what they considered the model daughter i'd be married with million children now my you know that would be the fulfillment of my life and i might have lived a, a completely unhappy life never reaching my full potential mm. <laughs> you know but in the preface of my book i actually do say to to that I do recognize that his the way he was being with me was actually you know created the person that I am that's been able to do what I've done and written this book yeah um, and achieve so, some amazing things like yeah exactly so what was it then about plumbing that attracted you <laughs> well I, I I was always I mean my dad was an electrician mm -hmm. So, so I definitely didn't want to be an electrician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I knew about electricity and I didn't fear it. I wanted to do something with my hands because even though my dad was an electrician, uh, my, me and my sisters shared a bedroom and we didn't have our own light bulb, uh, our own light until, uh, or electricity in our room until uh, I was a teenager. And that was when he decided he was going to rewire his, the house and he gave us a one double socket and and our own light bulb there used to be an extension cord that used to go from their bedroom my parents bedroom into our bedroom and so when we would go to our room he'd decide when it was like it was almost like you know lights out he'd come upstairs he'd turn the switch off and our light would go out and that would be that mm -hmm. that's it bedtime so we eventually we got our own light bulbs but I was the one that went under the floorboards and fed in the wires and and but apart from that all the other stuff in the house was done by me and my mum. Mm -hmm. So we decorated, we painted, we fixed and, and all of that. And so I was always handy. My mum said, oh, you know, this is happening. I said, that's all right, mum, let's get, let's get on with it and we'll do it. So we used to do it. Mm -hmm. When I was at school, I got a, a nickname, Maintenance. So if anybody broke anything, they'd bring it to me. They'd say, Maintenance, can you fix this? And I somehow I took things apart and put them back together and they worked. So I, I loved all of that. Um, when it came to choosing our subjects at school, I wanted to do things like technical drawing, metalwork, woodwork. And in my school, girls weren't allowed to do those subjects. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to do cookery and needlework. I couldn't choose metalwork. So it was when the national curriculum came in, in the late 80s, uh, and I could basically see the writing on the wall that it was a complete shambles and it was, it kind of, was not about education anymore it was about standards and mm -hmm. bringing everyone up to a standard and testing three-year-olds and 
you know, because I was a, I was a nursery teacher. I thought, let me just, let, I want to do something hands-on, but I'm not exactly sure what. I knew it wasn't going to be electricing, and I wanted to, I kind of thought, well, I wanted to do metal work when I was at school. I wanted to do technical drawing, and kind of that sort of feeds into plumbing, and I love water and everything about it. And so I went to a evening class and I enrolled myself in a plumbing evening class just to see if I'd like it. And I did. Absolutely loved it and decided to enrol myself at a building college. And I did one day a week for four years to retrain as a plumber and try to get a job. And of course, nobody would give me one. Nobody would give me a job. So I had to, I'd never, I'd never actually been employed by an employee as a plumber. I've always been self-employed. And what was that like setting up as a plumber then? Was that easy, difficult? <laughs> it was scary as hell. <laughs> because, you know, the same stories I'm still hearing, you know, 30 odd years down the line. Am I good enough to ask people to pay me to do things? Mm-hmm. But because I had to, and I was determined I wasn't going to fall back into teaching. I was determined I didn't want to go backwards. Mm-hmm. I just thought, right, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to have to do it. I sort of started in my own, and because as well, I wasn't completely new to everything. You know, like I said, I'd I'd taken things apart and done things and, you know, plumbed in the washing machine at my home when I was growing up and yeah. things like this. You know, so I, I hadn't, I wasn't completely new to handling the tools and I wasn't afraid to use stuff. Um, so I, in a way, I wasn't starting completely from scratch, but in lots of ways I was because nobody had ever paid me to do anything. Yeah. before and I just thought well I I just have to do it so I started to just do you know changing tap washers and stuff like that and then whenever I learned something new I'd kind of add it to my list of things I could do I had some hand printed flyers yeah and I strolled around my local streets putting flyers through the door and eventually the phone started ringing and it hasn't stopped ringing brilliant <laughs> yeah and then you said there was a point where you realised that kind of the plumbing was going really well, but you needed to take it to the next level. Yeah. So when I was approaching 40 years old, I kind of thought, well, well I don't want to be getting, you know, being a plumber when I'm old. So let me just think about what I can do. And I, I started mingling by accident, really, with a bunch of entrepreneurs. Um, I didn't realise I was an entrepreneur. Uh-huh. basically because I, I was a teacher who'd become a plumber yeah um so I went along to an entrepreneur's group and the the site the, the age-old question what were you doing five years ago and what will you be doing in five years time that question came up and I just started thinking actually what will I be doing in five years time because I don't really want to be a plumber when I'm old I won't be able to physically carry on doing it so I have to think of some other way and that kind of made me start thinking about outside of my own life Mm -hmm. I opened my horizons really really started thinking about not about changing from being a plumber to being a business I didn't I didn't think about that but that kind of formed in me as I started thinking about how I was going to transition from being a plumber to not being a plumber Mm -hmm. one of the things I read was talking about being a better whatever they were a better one so I thought how can I be a better plumber and I started thinking about how I could help. Maybe I could help other people. I uh, got myself a website and started looking for other women. I still hadn't met any other women plumbers. Started looking for them. 
and realise as I was finding, well, actually they found me. Women were obviously trying to find out how to be plumbers and what they'd come across was me because I was the only one who was online. Okay. And, um, and so I got asked a lot, how do I do it? Can I be your apprentice and all this? And I'm like, well, you're in London and I'm in Yorkshire, so no. <laughs> <laughs> does but, make it a bit difficult over that yeah, kind of distance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I started thinking, well, let me just think about this. You know, there are so few and far between. How are we going to, how am I going to do something for people? And so we, what we started doing was we started having monthly picnics in the park, we called it. We'd have one in London and one in Manchester. So we'd invite women to come along to a picnic if they were interested in plumbing and if they were plumbers. And that's how we, I basically started to build a little, tiny little community. And then I had the idea of helping them to become self-employed by providing them with the things that I knew I would really love. Somebody else to do my bills for me and somebody else to phone up my customers for me and somebody else to make sure that I get to my appointments on time and all that sort of stuff because I was really busy. I had a little address book and it was, you know, all dog-eared and what have you because of the, because of all the contacts written in there yeah. and stuff. My diary was always full to the brim and I just thought, let me see if I can create a service where I can take these things off people. So all they can, all they want to do is go out and do the plumbing and they don't have to worry about all these things. And that was where the idea of the, the license for stopcocks under one brand, that, that was where that came from and I'd started to develop it. But what I didn't know about was about the industry and how it was for women. What I found out was that it was a minefield still, that it was confusion, that the training wasn't really fit for purpose, and particularly for women, because it assumed that you were all 16-year-old boys living at home yeah. with your parents, and it didn't assume that you were a 20-something, 30-something woman wanting to start earning money as a plumber. Yeah, and the different life state, right, of like... Exactly. Being a teenage boy with you've still presumably got parents there doing all the yeah. cooking, cleaning. Exactly. I used to work in a special school and we used to have this this wonderful facility that was in the top of one of our buildings. We had like a, a fully functional flat mm-hmm. and the idea was that we would use it to teach the children the life skills. So we did a bit of like nice. cleaning, we did cooking, all those things, but actually in a a place that looked like a home to try and help Mm -hmm. the kids. And Mm -hmm. I can remember two of the support workers that I worked with were meant to be supporting one of the young men learning how to change bed linen. And Mm -hmm. I remember walking into the bedroom in the life skills flat and seeing the three of them just stood looking at each other. And I was like, (laughs) what's happening, lads? Like, what's going on? And the two lads who were both 18, 19 at the time had never changed a bed before. So they were there going, well, we don't know how to teach this learner because we don't know how to do it ourselves. And I ended up kind of thinking I was running like some speech therapy, doing like the communication side of it Mm. and ended up teaching all three of them how to make a bed that afternoon. (laughs) And it really struck me that like that difference in life experience that Mm. I think boys and girls men and women of the same age mm. there's different things that you know how to do like mm. I mean I was making beds at oh, nine God. or ten I knew how yeah, to do a exactly. perfect hospital corner on a bed sheet yeah like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I was ironing so I was ironing you know sheets <laughs> as soon as I could 
look over an ironing board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. And you can see how that translates then into how courses are set up. If you're yeah. thinking you're teaching people at one knife stage of, in one gender and then actually you don't fit that box, mm-hmm. your needs as a learner are quite different, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're... we're We've been running, I mean, because of COVID this year, we couldn't run our event, our Women Installers Together event. And it would have been the fourth one. And when I, when we launched as a franchise in 2017, put out press releases and what have you, and we got contacted by quite a few industry, um, like boiler manufacturers and this and that people. And they said, oh, you know, for some reason, they seem to think that there are loads of women. And I think that we've kind of made it look like that because we're so visible. Mm-hmm. And which was one of our goals to become visible, uh, but that uh, the actual numbers this year has dropped from from past years, so the number fluctuates up and down. But anyway, what I was saying was that these companies contacted us and they were saying, "Oh, you know, we'd we'd really love to get more women on board, and you know, maybe we could offer them a pamper day, and maybe we could offer them this and that." And I was like, <laughs> "You know, you're looking at." stereotype why would a woman whose hands are in a boiler or you know at the back of a sink or in a toilet I mean okay so she might want a manicure or a pedicure but that's not going to be the thing that's going to change her life mm-hmm. and I just started thinking okay so these people say they want to support women into the industry they will want us to do something back and it's got to go beyond me saying to them okay I'll tell these women to buy your product yeah so I said, right, let me see if I can bring it all together. And I was just driving home one day and this idea fell into my brain. And it was basically, let's do an event where we can bring together women in the industry and the industry. And we can have a day of fun and food and knowledge and learning and training and what have you. And just create this whole day. So we contacted those companies back and said, look, we want to do this. Are you interested? And luckily for us and brilliantly for us, they said, yes, we are. And not only that, but they also put their hand in their pocket and gave us a few quid to make it happen. And the first one, yeah, the first one, we were bricking it because we were like, we don't even know how many people are going to turn up. You know, we had a, we'd we'd sold out on Eventbrite. It was was a free event Mm -hmm. for the, for the delegates, but we didn't know how many of them would turn up. And um, we were phoned at our hotel because it was in London and we stayed in a hotel and and we were phoned up in our hotel and said, you better get here. There's a queue outside. And it was a fantastic day. Um, And so after that, we sort of thought, right, we actually going to hold these these companies who say they want to support it. We don't want to let them get away with just throwing a few quid at it and saying they've done it. So I then made them, got them all to make a commitment. And so they've made commitments. And one company made a commitment for five years. Um, And this would have been their second year of that commitment. And obviously we couldn't do it. So... We're hoping that after the COVID is all over um, and we get back to some kind of semi-normality, but we can have our event next year and all of our sponsors will come back on board because it was brilliant. They, they, One company said to us, we had no idea that women were a different customer. You know, the, the women, the trades women were a different customer to the trades men. And this is what you're saying about the different learning experience, the different needs. Yeah. And um, we were able to bring that reality to those companies, which means that now they can see the point. And one of the other things is that we're aiming towards is health and safety. Health and safety is written for men. 
Mm-hmm. And everything, if you're going to have women in this industry, in any industry, in your hands-on industry, you're going to have to look at every single one of your health and safety rules and change them so that they're applicable to women. Yeah, I was just thinking that actually when you were saying that they hadn't realised that women tradespeople were different to the male customer, that it, mm. it's across so many things, isn't it, of healthcare and protective mm-hmm. equipment and even yeah. like car seat belts like are not designed for mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. that it almost becomes this hidden thing that you think that it's unisex and actually what it is is male male and we just <laughs> kind of get on with it so like I have a terrible problem with car seat belts digging into me because mm-hmm. I'm not the tallest person in the world mm-hmm. but it never occurred me to me that it was how they designed cars mm-hmm. that was the problem I always thought it was my shoulders that were the problem mm-hmm. and it's so well, we always think it's us it? don't we yeah. we always think it's us <laughs> like if only I was taller and the seatbelt didn't rub into my neck is such yeah. a yeah yeah I know I'm the same I'm only five foot yeah yeah and it's um uh, you know we're kind of at the vanguard of that within our industry we're saying look you've got to start looking at it don't say you you support women into the industry if you're not prepared to look at your terms your terms and conditions your you know health and safety don't you know your policies Last year, we brought into um, the vernacular, we brought in that um, unconscious bias. I did a talk on that. Mm. And basically, it's a way of talking about sexism without saying the word, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you need. (laughs) But it's palatable. Yeah, it's more palatable that way. And a lot of it is unconscious, you know. I did a whole series of videos with a group of women called Idle Women. And they made a whole bunch of videos uh, showing women doing different trades. And I did the plumbing one. And there was a premiere in a cinema in Blackburn. And we went along to a cinema, massive screen, and they premiered all these videos. And uh, there was a woman who came and she's looking at me. She goes to me, are you a gas engineer? And I'm like, yeah. And she was like, getting all of her friends. And she said, look at this, this is a gas engineer. And you know, this was last year. It wasn't 20 years ago, it was last year. So, you know, we still have got so far to go. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I guess then my next question is looking at that future, like obviously you've been doing so much work, but there's still a ways to go. Mm. You've got the register that you're crowdfunding for. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that project, like what you're hoping to achieve with the money that you fund? Right, so the idea of, as I said earlier about, um, you know, the domestic violence and, and that the fact that having a woman go into the house and all of that, the idea of that has been on the back burner um, for a long, long, long time. And just, I think it was the, um, about six months ago, we, were, we, were, we had a business meeting with a company that makes things for toilets. And the CEO of that company came to us at the end of that meeting and said, you know, my wife works for an organisation that works with vulnerable women. And she, he said, I told her I was meeting with you today and she was really interested and thought it would be, wouldn't it be nice if we could use that company to, for our, you know, work in properties that we have where vulnerable women live. And, and wouldn't it be good if they also had different trades if they knew and we've always been having that on the plan and, and when we were furloughed and we were sitting around kind of wondering how we were going to get back to some kind of normality and, and you know because we couldn't do the training we had in mind and we couldn't do the event we basically wiped out half of our income for the year 
and we just thought we have to do something and we're remembering that conversation and thought well why don't we bring that to life and do it now while it's so topical because every day almost every day there's something on the news at the minute um, killings have gone up by th- three times um, as much as this time last year domestic killings that is uh, 25% increase in reported domestic abuse cases and all of that and I just thought right well let's just do it then and what we would have ordinarily done and what I've done with everything I've done is I've built it built it up organically and we thought with this one we thought no let's not build it organically let's see if we can start it by the end of this year well in fact we had a September date in mind and I think we're heading towards that date still let's see if we can do it by the time you know this is this is actually crucial that we can do this so we connected with the people that we already knew in those communities and said are you up for this? And they said, brilliant, we're really up for it. So the idea and my ideas are never just one thing. They're always holistic. And that's, you know, I kind of like to try to cover as many bases as possible. And we thought, okay, so first of all, we need to gather together the women on a register so that if there's a women's refuge or a, you know, a vulnerable person living on their own, and when I say person, I don't just mean women because there are vulnerable men as well. If there are vulnerable people living on their own or whatever and they just don't want to have a tradesman, let's see if we can find a tradeswoman for them. So that was the, the basic idea of the register itself. And then we thought, okay, so we don't want to make a profit out of this. We want to use profits to go to the next jigsaw piece mm-hmm. and so the profits from that will go into a school for tradeswomen so we've already got three women who can pass on their knowledge to other women and so we thought right so profits from the register because obviously the work has to be paid for mm-hmm. and the, the tradeswomen have to be paid and the way it works is that there's an administrative cost to us organising all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's the cost that runs the, the register itself. And excess money from that goes into the, the school for tradeswomen. So as I said earlier, there's a link between women who've had a hard life to training in trades. So we thought, OK, so they can see a way out by training in trades. But then we thought, but we know that women like that don't have access to finance. So then we set up a separate, uh, another entity where there's money, like a trust. So the extra money, because the training will have to be paid for one way or the other. And so excess money from that will go into a trust, which will enable women to apply for funding to do training. And then those women can feed back into the register, which will mean that there'll be more of them, which will mean that the role models will increase, which will mean that the cycle can carry on. Mm -hmm. And that's how I see it, really. And so this crowdfund is for us to start to get on the road running. And the initial target of 15,000 is to pay for the IT, the robust IT technology that we need to verify everybody's qualifications to make sure that we're sending people who are, you know, verified into people's homes. Um, And they will all be women and a, a website. And um, obviously the other infrastructures like phone lines and all this and somebody to be the person who, on the end of the phone. But we're in line for being accepted by NatWest North to get an extra five if we reach our target. So it's absolutely mm. essential that we reach our target because they may pledge £5,000 to us. But then if we don't reach our target, they'll remove their pledge. Yeah. So we need as many people as possible. As many people as possible. You know, today we've had... Pledges ranging from five, five pounds to two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So you know every single penny helps. Yeah, definitely. So that's on crowdfunder.co.uk. Yes. 
Brilliant. So it's crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash national hyphen register hyphen of hyphen tradeswomen. Well, it's such a well thought through business. Like I love the idea that it's it started with this register, but actually that you're using the profits to turn it into another route for women to get independence. Like mm-hmm. it's just exactly. incredible. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, you got it. It's not just about um, supplying a female electrician to you. It's about all this other stuff. And every time you use the register, if you're going to use the register, you know you're contributing towards that. Yeah. Yeah, it's passing it on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today, Hattie. I've had an absolute blast. Me too. you've got all the details you need to head off and support Hattie's crowdfunding campaign if you're not there already get yourself over to crowdfunder.co.uk and look up the Stockcocks campaign if you've got a similar project in the works I'd love to hear from you I started this episode with a shout out to Michelle Obama but I'm going to end with her husband he said the best education he received was working with people in the community on a grassroots basis Because what it taught him was that ordinary people, when they're working together, can do extraordinary things. I believe he's right, and I love working with people with a legacy to create. Come find me at annanightcoach.com or my Facebook group, Port in the Storm. Next week, we'll be talking to Nicola Haler, a holistic interior designer. Nicola's got another fascinating story for us and we'll be talking all about mental health, bullying and what it's like to find faith in the universe when you don't find a religion that fits you. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson.